0: Well, hey, welcome to Jubilee Church. I am so glad that you have taken the time to be with us today. My name is Brian Mowry. I am one of the pastors here. I say that because technically, I guess I am the lead pastor, and I am the person you probably see the most. But I want you to know that there are hundreds of other leaders who help make this church happen Our church is more than an hour on Sunday morning. There's so much more that's going on, and I hope that you would be a part of it. If you wanna be a part of it, your next step is to join the growth track, just like Alyssa talked about. So I hope that you would take that step. Well, this is a great day to to check in because we are starting a new series called The New Normal. During the pandemic, disruption hit, and and one of the questions that we are all asking is, When are things going to go back to normal, or is this our new normal? Now, there are some things that I hope do go back to normal. I hope hospitals go back to normal. I hope business goes back to normal. I hope schools go back to normal. But there are some things that we've learned. There are some lessons that we've learned in this pandemic that I hope create a new normal. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And then after that, we're going to launch into a series in the book of Philippians. And that's going to be really relevant because Paul, who was essentially in quarantine... Uh, He was in prison. He talked about joy. So we can learn a lot from Paul in studying the book of Philippians together. And believe it or not, that's going to take us all the way up until Christmas. I cannot believe Christmas is just around the corner, so to speak, as I'm mapping these things out. And I cannot wait. Usually I'm the kind of guy who just like, hey, when Christmas happens, it happens. But I'm ready for it. At the end of August, I am ready for Christmas. Okay. well, a few weeks back, I was invited by a friend of mine, really a lifelong friend of mine to celebrate his 40th birthday, me and my entire family, to go out to Colorado to hike a 14,000-foot mountain, which I've come to know is called a 14er. And uh, I was, uh, had mixed feelings about this, because on one hand, I was excited. I mean, I've never done this before. I'm like, hey, this is a new experience. I'd love to go check this out. But on the other hand, well, it's walking up a steep incline. So that didn't sound like fun. There were other things I thought I'd rather do. But anyway, we go out there, we do this, we drive toward to the mountain, we walk to the trailhead, we walk from the trailhead to about when it starts to really uh, you know, go uphill, which couldn't have been more than a quarter mile. And I am already out of breath. I mean, I literally could not catch my breath. It was very embarrassing. I mean, my kids are like halfway up the mountain already. I cannot catch my breath. It was super frustrating. I hadn't gone very far. I'm looking up you know, this tall mountain, I've got a long way to go. And I'm thinking, how could this happen already? Well, this pretty much describes the way I felt about six to eight weeks into the quarantine. I don't know if that was true for you, but I'm like, it didn't, I mean, despite the fact that I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't see anyone, I couldn't really do anything, I was exhausted. You know, it didn't matter how much I watched the last dance on my couch, I could not find rest. I don't know if you've ever been there before, I don't know if you're there now, when you're trying to find rest, but you can't find rest. And this got me thinking, well, maybe it's not a physical rest that I need. Maybe there's a emotional rest, an inside rest that I need. And that's what was going on in me. So prior to the pandemic, I would have thought the reason why I'm so tired is because I'm doing too much. But now in the pandemic, activity had come to a halt, but I'm still exhausted. I'm still tired. I'm still not finding rest. And that's because you and I, we need soul rest. We need an inside rest. And which is easier said than done because the physical rest, you know, you just go to bed. But what do you do when you need soul rest? How do you get soul rest? How do you get that deep rest for your soul that we're all looking for? Well, that brings us to Jesus and that brings us to our text today. And what he's talking about in our text today, he talks about how we can get real rest. "'Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take on my yoke, take on what I have, "'and you will find rest.'" Come to me. If you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and come after me. So what Jesus is saying here is that the key to rest, the key to deep, soul-satisfying rest is to deny yourself. Now, in 2020, in our Western culture, when we hear deny yourself, we think self-help. OK, we're going to get a list of things that we should not be doing. Don't do that. No more of this. No ice cream. No Netflix. Limit your you know, iPhone use. Deny yourself. Deny yourself of what is fun, what is enjoyable. And, that, and to be honest with you, that's what people think Christianity is about. Christianity is about denying what is really fun, denying what is really enjoyable. You need to deny yourself. Well, if you take that phrase, though, and you go back about a thousand years or so, uh, when God was forming this nation called Israel, His people, and He was demonstrating His love and care for them, He instituted something called the Sabbath. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with the Old Testament, there were three covenants God made with his people. There was a Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and the Mosaic covenant. Now, the Mosaic covenant was made with a guy by the name of, you'll probably get this, Moses. And within this covenant to Moses, he instituted this thing called Sabbath. Now, Sabbath was a 24-hour period where the children of Israel did absolutely nothing. Nothing. It was a day of worship to acknowledge while they did nothing, God did everything. Now, that's really important uh, because Sabbath was not just a break from something that was unnecessary. It was releasing control over what was necessary. You see, in that culture, if you wanted to eat seven days, you had to work seven days. And so in order for them to observe the Sabbath, they had to trust, they had to realize that they would be better off working six days and trusting him with the seventh day than them working seventh day. So it was, a, it was a denying of themselves. It was a releasing of control. Those of you who cannot rest until the job is done know exactly what I'm talking about. So like my wife, for example, it is physically impossible for my wife um, to rest if the kitchen isn't clean. So we can't just say to her, hey, don't worry about the kitchen. Just take a, a break. That does not give her rest. Telling her just to stop does not give her rest. What gives her rest is assurance that it will happen as good or better if she doesn't do it. So in other words, her ability to rest is, is, is correlated to her trust in me or the kids cleaning the kitchen on her behalf. Then she can rest. Then she could take it easy. And that's what Sabbath was about. Sabbath wasn't just about, hey, take a break. Sabbath was about trusting that God would continue to provide even though you stop and rest. He is supplying on our behalf. So that's why we can't rest in the season because it's simply just to stop, hey, I'm doing too much. I need to take a break and we're still not rested. The reason why is even though activity has stopped, our desire to control our outcome, our desire to control our life kept on going. It's why in the scene, it's like we can't stop caring about our loved ones who may be vulnerable to this pandemic. We can't stop caring about our economic situation. We're economically vulnerable. We can't stop caring about justice so how do, we take, how do we do that? Well, to deny yourself, to give up control, isn't to stop caring or even to stop doing, but it's to stop striving and understanding that it's better off that you allow God to work on your behalf. The invitation here that Jesus is giving is to deny your desire to produce an outcome. And trust me, take on my yoke, take on what I have to offer My burden is easy. You're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And if I want to take that weight and I want to give you my weight, which is a much easier burden to carry. Now, what's interesting here is that while Sabbath is just once a week, Jesus is saying this is something we're meant to experience daily. And the reason is because the way that we understand the teachings of scripture is that Jesus fulfilled absolutely every rule and requirement of the Noahic, of the Abrahamic, and the Mosaic covenant when he went to the cross and rose to new life. So now, this rigorous adherence to the Sabbath, this 24-hour period, has now been transformed and changed. And Jesus has fulfilled that. Now, he is our Sabbath. Now, he is our rest. And that means I've got good news for you. Every day is meant to be a day of rest. That's why it says daily deny yourself, daily Sabbath, daily rest. How do you follow Jesus? You learn to rest in Jesus daily, and you acknowledge that His cross is your own. So with the rest of our time, I just want to dig into how we take real rest. How do we do this? How could this be a daily practice for us? So for those of us who follow Jesus or for those of us who are wondering what it looks like to follow Jesus, I want you to know that what it looks like to follow Jesus looks like rest. One of the great hallmarks of following Jesus, of being a Christian, is rest, trusting, relying, letting go of control, letting go of leadership, trusting God, yielding to Him. And there are three areas in particular that I wanna talk about with the rest of our time. So how do we do this? How can we experience this rest? Well, number one, we rest in the work of Jesus. We rest in the work of Jesus. Christians are those who rest in his work. To deny yourself is to let go of what you do, what you've done, what you're trying to do, who you're trying to be. It's letting go of what you've accomplished and the identity that you want for yourself. You let go of your work and you trust in the work of Jesus, one of the seven statements that Jesus made while hanging six hours on the middle cross between two thieves was, it is finished. Well, what is finished? The work of Jesus is finished. The work that you and I could not do for ourselves, Jesus did for us. He became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, for our sake, he became sin. Who knew no sin? He was perfect, he's righteous, he's innocent so that we could become the righteousness of God. Your relationship with God has nothing to do with your work. It has everything to do with his work on the cross. So every day, today and every day, we can rest in the work of of Jesus. We let go of ego that says our worth, our identity, is tied up in what I can accomplish, and, and what I can do, and the image that I create for myself. We let go of that. And instead, our confidence, our identity, our worth comes from Jesus. And we th- realize that, hey, I must be worth something if he bled and died for me. He, he, he left heaven. He moved into the neighborhood. He went to the cross for me. He paid the ultimate price for my sin, the penalty of my sin. And that grants to me, that credits to me his righteousness. That's who I am. That's what I'm worth. That's what I'm relying on. That's what I'm resting in. That's what I'm trusting in, the work of Jesus. I no longer define myself about what I've done. I don't define myself by what I can accomplish. I define myself by what he accomplished for me on my behalf. I rest in his work. Let me tell you some good news about your sin. For those of you who, who realize, man, I don't do what I should do, and, and, I, and sometimes I do the things I shouldn't do, I want you to know that your sin does not compare, does not measure up to the work of Jesus. Your sin has been forgiven. Your sin has been forgotten. Your sin has been swallowed up in Jesus. He became your sin so that you could have the righteousness of God. So our rest we, we wanna be those who rest and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't declare, we're not those who wanna remind ourselves and remind other people of our failures or to somehow deny that we do fail. But what we wanna declare is that Jesus is greater than our sins. So we rest in the work of Jesus. So we rest in the work of Jesus. We rest in the way of Jesus. Paul said to the Galatians in, in chapter 6, that far be it for me to boast in anything except our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, what he's saying is that the way that the world does things, that's what he means by the world, the world's systems, the world's attitudes, the world's actions, the way the world does things. Like that's all dead to me. That's that's like a dead corpse to me. It's crucified to me. I have no value, no esteem for that any I no longer crave the results and recognition that the world craves. Because I'm yielded to the way of Jesus. I'm yielded to the outcome in trusting Jesus. This craving for results and recognition will lead to something we all struggle with called comparison. But here's the problem with that. And this is one of the reasons why we are so exhausted. We're so exhausted because there's always someone who's better. There's always someone who's prettier, who's sharper, who's smarter, who has more likes, more follows, uh, which will lead you to the place of saying, What's wrong with me? You know, I should be doing more. I should be posting more. I should be, you know, I got to do better. I got to do more. The person who rests does not get caught up in that game. The person who rests says and declares, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is the captain of my ship. To rest is to rest in his work and it's to rest in his way. And finally, it's to rest in his wisdom. Paul said uh, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he says, when I've come to you, brothers, I did not come with lofty speech, with, with wisdom from men. I came to you um, with a godly wisdom, for I decided to know, I decided to know among you, I decided to know nothing else among you except Christ and Christ crucified. I was with you in weakness and trembling, and my speech and my message was not a plausible words and wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. He says, I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I love how the Passion Translation says it. It says, I have determined to be consumed with one topic. I'm going to be consumed with one topic. Uh, Do you know what it means to rest in the wisdom of Jesus? It means to be consumed with one topic. It means you're passionate about one thing. It doesn't mean that you deny other topics. It doesn't mean that other topics are not important. But the primary topic, the, the topic that we are obsessed with, is with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus on my behalf and on behalf of all of humanity. I mean, Paul was a very, very bright person. If you study him, he was a very—I mean, he was like way above his peers. Degrees from everywhere, and in Philippians, the book that we'll study this fall, he says that all that I've learned, all the things, all the knowledge I have accumulated, I consider garbage as compared to this one topic. We rest in his wisdom. The other thing he says, that in my sermons, I don't want you to walk away with, hey, Paul, you're pretty smart. You're pretty wise. Yeah, I'll do those three things. I'll do those five things. He says that when I am done preaching, I want there to be one thing left. Jesus, his power, his his presence. That's what it means by the power of God. The power of God is the presence of God. It's the person of God. It's Jesus. I want you to be left with him, just him, nothing else. It reminds me, actually, and and I'll end with this, um, uh, this crazy, strange scene uh, called the Mount of Transfiguration. You can read about this in, in Matthew 17, I believe. What, what happens is Jesus takes his 12 disciples up this mountain, and, uh, and he starts to pray. And in like all the other times that you know, they go with him to pray, they fall asleep, these three guys, okay? And when they wake up, they wake up to this phenomenon. They see Jesus like You know, he's brilliantly white. His face is shining. He's transcendent. And they suddenly realize that Jesus is joined by these two Hebrew heroes, uh, Moses and Elijah, that Jesus is having this conversation with Moses and Elijah. Peter, we know for sure, wakes up because uh, he sees this conversation happen and he sees that, you know, he's able to recognize. I don't know how he's able to recognize, but he recognizes again that it's Moses. And Elijah, these thousands of, you know, these thousand-year-old men who, you know, they're from this other dimension called eternity, and they're talking, and do you know what they're talking about? They're talking about how Jesus is the fulfillment, and I'll stay with me, the fulfillment of everything they taught, that he's the fulfillment of that, that Elijah, this great prophet, that Moses, this great receiver of the law and leader of God's people, and they are now with Jesus, who is the fulfillment of it all. Now, Peter sees this, And he does what you and I still do today. Peter sees Moses, he sees Elijah, and he sees Jesus. And he thinks to himself, man, this is awesome. I've got like my three heroes all together, three peers almost. And he says, Jesus, it's so good that I'm here because here's what I'm going to do. I want to create three shelters. I want to build three tents, three tabernacles, three memorials, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. In other words, Jesus, it's so good that Moses is here because it's like Jesus plus the 10 commandments. Let's honor Jesus, but also honor the 10 commandments. And, and it's so good that Elijah is here because it's like, you know, we've got Jesus plus prophecy or knowledge. So let's honor Jesus and let's honor prophecy and knowledge and predictions. And Peter here does what you and I do, which seems like a good idea. It's like, man, if we can get Jesus plus knowledge, Jesus plus rules, Jesus plus you know, traditions, Jesus plus my political affiliation, Jesus plus my retirement, Jesus plus the the place I want to live and the life I want to have and my career and all of that. If I can just get all of my dreams and Jesus in one room, wouldn't that be amazing? The the thing that happens next is, is really important because God to send a message loud and clear who To anyone who'd be willing to read this book, God the Father sends a thick cloud or fog that settles over Moses and Elijah to send the message overtly that this is not about Moses, this is not about Elijah, this is not about laws and and rules and regulation and, and knowledge and prophecy. There will be no memorials to a man or anything a man can create. This is about my son who I'm well pleased. There is one unique path to me, there is one unique path to rest, and it's Jesus. And so this cloud goes away, and guess who's not there? The wisdom of men, knowledge, rules, regulation. Elijah, Moses, they're gone, and all that is left is Jesus. In fact, uh, one translation says, "And it was Jesus alone." And if I could be so bold to say. God, let that cloud happen again. God, let that cloud happen in my life and our, our life. Help us focus again. Bring a cloud on everything except Jesus. May, may we not be the people who compare Jesus to other things, but Jesus stands alone. It's, we don't get rest in Jesus plus these things. We get rest in him. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about doing this and saying this and acting this and, and projecting this. It's about him. The Bible says that this cloud was lifted and they were all alone. As far as Jubilee is concerned, we will not build any memorials to men. We will not anchor ourselves in traditions and customs and knowledge and rules and regulations, all of which cannot produce anything of value and do not bring rest to the soul. That is why we will celebrate one person, We will celebrate and make much of the name of Jesus. We will celebrate and rest in his work, his ways, and his wisdom. John 14, 6 says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other. We wanna be the kind of people that after we're done talking, all that's left is Jesus. Jesus. We're not pointing to the wisdom of man. We're not pointing to anything else. We want to be left with the power and the presence of God, because that is what brings rest for our soul. With so much that's going on, Brian, are you saying that we don't care about our life? We don't care about justice? We don't care about the economy? We don't care about one another? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying at all. We care absolutely, but we realize the best that we can do is filthy rags and that we, we, we turn over our trust to God. We Sabbath, we rest on a daily basis. We deny ourselves. Does it mean that we're uh, inactive? Absolutely not. You can be busy, busy, you can be active and still have rest. Or you can be inactive and have no rest. It's not tied to your activity, but it's tied to your trust. It's tied to will you surrender, control, to him. Do you need rest this morning? Do you find your place, do you find yourself in this place anxious, wondering, worrying? Jesus said, look, people who don't know they have a Father in heaven, they worry about all of these things. They, wor- they worry about elections. They worry about where they're gonna, what they're going to eat tomorrow, where they're going to live, and will they have the life that they want, and will things turn out okay? People who don't know they have a Father in heaven, they worry about those things, and they don't have rest for their soul. But here's how you have rest for your soul, he says. Matthew 6, you can read about this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that you need. I'll give them to you. In other words, he, he says what, it, um, he said in Matthew 11. He says, come to me. Come, you're, you're weary, you're heavy laden. Give me that burden. Give me that burden. I will take it on and I will give you mine. Learn from me, follow me, trust me, deny yourself, pick up your cross. What good is it if you strive for the whole world and lose your soul, lose rest in your soul? Come to me. If you're tired this morning, come to him. Surrender to him. Trust him. He's here. He's on your front porch. He's in your backyard with you. He's in your living room. He's in that auditorium with you. Everyone else is six feet away, but he is right there, cling to him. So here's what I'm gonna do. I I just wanna pray for us. I want to pray for us that in this season, that our new normal, one of the things that would be a new normal for us is that we'd be people of rest. Oh, we'll be busy. Oh, we will care. We will work toward toward the things that God has put on our heart to work toward. But at the end of the day, we're going to rest, not in our work, not in our way, not in our wisdom, but in his. So let me pray for us. God, I just thank you for your word that leads us to life. I thank you that you have come to take our burdens, that you have come to lead us into purpose. You've come to lead us into rest. God, it's so hard to trust you. You said that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because there's so much about a rich man that feels self-sufficient. Lord, we identify with that. We feel self-sufficient. We feel like we should be able to fix our own problems. God, that's that's not how we enter your kingdom. That's not how we enter ultimate rest in trusting ourselves. It's denying ourselves and trusting you. So God, just pray for us as a community that we would have the humility and the courage to take such a risk as to get behind you and follow you. But we know that following you, being behind you is the safest place we can be. It's the place where rest is. If you're here today and you're like, I've never, I've got caught up in rules and regulations. I've never actually trusted in Jesus. I wanna lead you into that. And you just say, Jesus, I just trust you. Uh, that's it. You say, Jesus, I, t- I turn over control of my life. God, I just thank you for those who are turning over control of their life for the first time today. I pray, you, I pray that, that the power of God, I pray that your presence would meet with them right now in your precious name. Amen.